What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here for part two of that discussion of the offense against the Dolphins. Anytime you have a 56-point game, it is a fun topic to talk about the offense. And then we add to that the presence of Cordell Woodland, my good friend, and it becomes that much more fun. And if you didn't listen to that first episode, there is so much good football in that. Uh, Cordell had lots of very interesting points. We found, you know, almost like an echo in the chamber sometimes about things, but uh, also lots of great thoughts about the receiving core, about Lamar Jackson's big day. Uh, and I think this is this is stuff you want to revel in. So go download that now. Maybe even before you, you listen to the second pod, unless you're in your car, just go ahead and listen to the second pod now. But, uh, but anyway, uh, Cordell, great to have you again. Appreciate you having me, Ken. Uh, always a good time to talk some good football, and the Ravens are playing a lot of good football these days. Sure, sure are. So uh, normally we start off the, the the second show with the offensive line, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the offensive line, I thought uh, they, they you definitely got to mention them uh, responsible of, of none of the sacks. It was only one sack had in the game, but the offensive line weren't responsible for that. Did have the one uh, quarterback hit, two pressures, three penalties, one offensive hold, and two false starts in this game. But a lot's been said about this offensive line as a unit this last month or so. Uh, with the way Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses have kind of been trying to battle through injuries, but I, I thought those guys played well. I thought their rotational pieces played well. And of course, Ben Cleveland, who was kind of the star of the day, so to speak, because he's filling in for Zeitler. Everybody wanted to know how he'd play. I thought he fit in well as also. Yeah. Lots, lots to go over Cleveland, uh, a very exciting day. I think it, it, it probably easily to over hyperbolize what Cleveland did, but it's still very good. And there, there is a player, we'll get to him a little later, who I think had one of the best games by any Ravens lineman this year. Um, and uh, and you might not know who that is just from, from uh, what's been said about this game so far. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a lot to get into with this offensive line. And I feel like talking about the O-line, you have to kind of start with Ronnie Stanley um, because all eyes are always on him and what he's been able to do. And he's been scrutinized a lot this year and probably rightfully so. I mean, Ronnie hasn't in spurts 
hasn't played good football this year, but I do think that rotation with him and Patrick McCarry on the left side of that line has helped him. I think the same for Morgan Moses and Daniel Falele, that rotation, I think that's helped Morgan Moses as well. But with Ronnie Stanley, what type of game did you see from him against the Dolphins? Yeah, so it, it was his best game of the season. Now, he only played 37 snaps, so you, you kind of have to take that with a with a grain of salt because that's maybe 60% of the snaps you would normally play in a full NFL game. But was a quality opponent in Bradley Chubb, and he was out there for all the time where, where Stanley was, I believe. He might have missed one or two snaps at the end. Um, he had a contribution to one quarterback hit where Simpson and he failed to match depth and exchange on a stunt handoff. And I had a little talk with PFF about this, and I just want to say PFF does a really good job in responding when I have questions. And I'm just going to tell you what they had to say about it. Because I said, um, let me see this. This is, where are you, Gordon? There you are. Okay. Um, uh, so Gordon McGinnis is the guy I usually usually talk to about this. And, and I said, I see you folks have Stanley for the quarterback hit. You know, what are your rules on matching depth? How did you decide it was his in this particular game? And he said, uh, yes, confirming we have it on Stanley. There's no set rules for evaluation, but our evaluation was that Stanley is culpable in this play, plays it too high and too wide, and his own reason for not get for getting picked, no downgrade for Simpson, minus one for Stanley. So he tells you that the, that's the underlying minus two to plus two um, score they give you. Now, the reason I, I give you the detail on that is that PFF is extremely good about responding if you're doing analysis of your own. If you do analysis and you want to know, hey, look, I don't understand. I looked at that and I thought that was a pressure to Stanley or I thought there was a pressure to Simpson. Um, you, you could you could understand that differently. I scored that as half to each, by the way, on that play. Simpson kind of drove his man across behind Stanley, um, which actually cut off um, uh, Stanley from picking up Chubb, who was stunting over the top. And, and honestly, it was really Simpson who was supposed to pick up Chubb and and um, Stanley, who was supposed to be at the proper depth to pick up Sealer on the play, uh, that didn't work out. I gave it half to each of them the way the way it worked out. But I do understand PFF's way of doing it, and and I I completely respect their judgment. One thing that I have in my system is, if when in doubt, usually share the result like this, where there's a lot of question of of who had it. And the reason I do that is you're you will be off by less when you're wrong. So the another way to think of it is I, I, I'm I'm more accurate unless Stanley was 75% culpable for this play in the way I've scored it. So anyway, that's that's the way I had it. If you feel differently, change the scoring by a point and a half and, and you'll get a different score in the thing. Stanley, otherwise outstanding game. His only negative event was that was that play, had three missed blocks, two losses at the line of scrimmage, no blocks in level two, two pancakes, made made zero of his one pull. Um, had three highlight blocks. Stanley really being heady about backside run and pass blocks at the line of scrimmage. Been very effective at blocking one guy and then blocking another, yeah. taking two guys out of a play. I thought Stanley was looked really strong in that game against the Dolphins and really the last couple of weeks. I, I continue to say I, I do think that rotation is helping him and and I talked to him after the game about it. And, you know, he said it is helping them be, a, be able to try to play to play at a high level for most of the game, obviously, uh, when they're able to get some of those breaks. So it's good to see that it's helping because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're possibly seeing maybe less of that rotation down the stretch of the offseason. I'm curious to see how John Harbaugh and those guys approach it. Joe D, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say 
uh, have a lot of say so in what ends up happening. Uh, but John Simpson, you mentioned him, John Simpson, who's a guy who has ups and downs. We mentioned one of his offensive holdings early in the game, probably shouldn't have been a holding. Uh, Simpson was the only true starting guard out there today with Zeitler down. What do you think about S Simpson's day? Like to finish up with Stanley got an A for for the game with a with the, there was a solid uh, adjustment there for Chubb, but I did want to lay that out there. But Simpson um, had his fourth consecutive game at the D level as I scored it, um, and the fifth in the last six, which has not been a good run. He had a good run early in the year where he's really playing at a better level. Um, had seemed to have over a stretch of games his penalty problems sorted out. I think he might have gone four or five consecutive games without a penalty, and that was the longest streak of his career. By the way, of doing that, he's had a huge problem with this. As it's turned out, he's basically had just as many penalties here as he has in Las Vegas. I think that's a big disappointment to the Ravens, who really wanted to reduce that penalty level from one every 98 in Las Vegas um, in, in his first three seasons there to, to something better than that. Because they had to look at that as untapped value in John Simpson. Because otherwise, he's a pretty pretty solid pass blocker. Uh, he's a decent run blocker. He has some balance issues. But just basically speaking, not a bad guy to pick up off the street as a guard, and and that's effectively what happened. He was released by by Las Vegas, and they picked him up. And um, uh, it's ended up being, I I think, real value for the Ravens to have a, a solid starter in there uh, for this year. I'll talk a little bit of a scoring, but but how do you feel about just in general the Simpson acquisition? Yeah, I think it's been a plus for them. You know, uh, you look at it initially, it seemed like it was a competition between he and. Uh, the rookie Sala, and <clears throat> I, th I think Sala pretty much played himself out of that competition, to be honest with you. Um, and so they they needed that veteran presence. I think we were hoodwinked mm. by, by, by Harbaugh. I think basically he said, we need to convince Simpson that he needs to work very, very hard mm -hmm. to win this guard spot and, and basically get over the excuses about the penalties would be my guess. And I've heard personally Simpson's very nice guy. Very I, I, That doesn't necessarily mean how they're internalizing their own excuses is going to make them a better player. Um, I, 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 but I, I do think they looked at that and I, they had to know Salah was nowhere near ready right. pretty much right away. Cause we certainly know in the preseason mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, Oh, well, Simpson will get his chance next week. <laughs> sure yeah. uh, I think, I think they, uh, they pretty much knew early on and we'll see Salah's a developmental lineman. Maybe he still ends up being something, but uh, uh, this wasn't the case this year, obviously. No, no, definitely wasn't the case this year. And, Look, Simpson's been there for him. He's been reliable, at least. He's on the field. That's half the battle in itself, just being able to show up to game day. So it's good. And one of the issues he had coming out of Vegas, he talked to us about in the uh, during training camp, <clears throat> was his confidence. He had confidence issues. And that doesn't seem to be the case for him right now, at least. He's not playing mistake-free football, but at least he's doing everything fast. And, and that's that's all you you can't ask for. Yeah, he, he's cleaned up some things about his game. I'll get to that in just a second here. But um, the offensive hold was kind of ticky-tack. Without that holding penalty, he would have had a B on the game. So it made all the difference in terms of his of his grade for this. Shared quarterback hit with Stanley was his only pass rush event. So that's positive. Mm -hmm. He did get run out of one pressure by Lamar. So he basically gave up a pressure. Lamar scrambled for positive yardage. Um, I ding him on his adjustment for that. So he, he did lose his adjustment for the game because of that. Six missed blocks, three of those losses at the line of scrimmage. Nine out of 11 on pulls. That's a big improvement from last week when we got only one point on five pulls versus the 49ers. So Simpson has been very much up and down in terms of his pulls this year, but this was a good game. And it's nice to see that as we approach the most important games of the year. 
Let's talk about the guy next to him, the man in the middle, Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, I remember one of his big highlight plays was on that Justice Hill uh, third and 16 screen. He did a really good job blocking in space, blocking in space, getting out there, uh, pulling. But Tyler Linderbaum, no bad snaps, no penalties. Pretty good day for him, I would imagine. No, no bad snaps is good. He did actually have a penalty, and I know he wasn't charged with the penalty in the in the game book, but he forgot the snap count, and everybody else moved. Uh, yeah, and that's usually that's a good indication yeah. that it's on him. Uh, but but Stanley did pick it up. They I called I, it on Stanley. Yeah. yeah, I charged it to Linderbaum. <laughs> so um, he didn't have any other negative events other than that, though. Missed two blocks. One of those was an L two NB. The other one was a very tough case. A level two no block that means um and and, mm-hmm. and that's that's not a real serious problem but then he was also beaten on a very tough block where he's reaching back to the back side um with the left tackle and left guard both pulling so what that means is he's got a block out of a very flat angle back towards that left side and uh, he wasn't able to uh uh to get chubb on that play didn't turn out to be a pressure but it was a zero on the play for him tough tough zero is what i'm telling you three blocks in level two one out of one on his poles no pancakes no highlights um, gets his fifth A of the season. His advancement as a pass blocker, great to see him, by the way, pass blocking again well this week. Had a very tough week against the 49ers last week. But he but he looked better this week. And um, his advancement as a pass blocker, along with Stevens, has probably been the biggest single advancements we've seen from players this year. I know everybody thinks Tyler Linderbaum was great last year. He wasn't. He had a really lousy pass blocking rookie year. He looked too small to play the position. And now he's playing exceptionally well as a pass blocker. And in general, and now he's on the verge of, of potentially making a Pro Bowl this year, whether it says voted in or as an alternate. Why, what do you think has been the big adjustment for him? Like you said, as a pass blocker, what, what, what's, what's been the biggest uh, uh, addition to his game? So there's been a couple of things. And and I, the first thing I'd say is he's he's just bigger this year. And you and I both saw that in camp is just he's he's probably weighs 15 pounds more than he did last year. Um, he's probably carrying that weight well in terms of being stronger um, as well. But the other thing that he's been much better at this year than he was last year is being more aware on stunt pickups and on when he's getting um, a, a guard cross, sorry, a defender crossing the face of the guard into him. He's aware of that more quickly and knows what to do with it. So I think those have been the things he hasn't been perfect and he still has a lot of trouble with big men, but um, he's so much better. And centers in general, they have less pass blocking responsibility. So services like PFF make that a lower percentage of the total um, aggregate grade for the player. But that's a big mistake because the pass blocking still, it's more, it's more important than run blocking always for any offensive lineman. And, and, and they've got to be good at it. So what we've seen from him, I think the, the two things I would point to is the, is the picking up stunts and blitzes better and the picking up uh, end up being a little bigger. Todd Munkin joked when we spoke to him last week, uh, you know, when he got there and they told him that he, he said, uh, you know, we got a center for, for Hollywood Brown. That that's what we got in exchange for Hollywood Brown, but it turns out to be a pretty, pretty good center uh, in that regard for Tyler Linderbaum. Um, and look, if you're going to draft a center in the first round, you'd imagine he better be pretty, pretty good. And I think Linda Baum is showing that everybody raves about his leadership, uh, pretty even kill. Uh, Todd Monken talked about his football mind as well and his maturity um, in his second year. So it, it's good to see kind of Linda Baum proving some people wrong and even starting to get better at some of the deficiencies that he did have uh, when he came out of college. 
Yeah, I don't think he's really given up too much downfield to be the better pass blocker either, which is really one of the nice things is he's just had an exceptional run blocking year last year in terms of getting out front of plays. I think he's still able to do that. And, you know, with an offensive lineman, that's going to degrade slightly over time. So his, his mobility is. So I, I'm I'm very hopeful that his will continue at a new weight level for, for several years, um, certainly for his first contract, let's put it that way. And we'll see if he becomes a cornerstone player for the Ravens. I think he could be. Let's go to the right guard. And of course, this was one that everybody had their eyes on. No Kevin Zeitler in this game. I saw him out there pregame looking like he's trying to give it a go. Didn't really look like he, he just never really looked comfortable when I watched him warming up out there. But uh, you get Ben Cleveland that comes in and fills in for him. Ben Cleveland played a little bit in the Niners game uh, when Zeitler went out. What did you think of Cleveland's performance? I'm going to get to that in just one second, but I want to ask you about Zeitler's warm-up mm -hmm. while we're on the topic. Does it look like to you from watching Zeitler's warm-up on Sunday, and I, I heard the same things from Zrivek, but it's basically reported very similarly, that he just didn't look like he could move around. Does he look three weeks away, or does he look more than that? Yeah, no, I, I would say that he looked like he, he should be good to go in about three weeks. I, I think three weeks would be good for him. It, it it wasn't that he didn't look like he had no shot of even playing in the game uh, on Sunday against the Dolphins. I think he definitely had a shot. And and at times he looked good. At, at times he did look good where, you know, he's going from one pad to the next and you see him shift from left to right. But there were also times where it just, it, it just looked like that leg – was a little heavy for him to move at times, if that makes sense. And, um, I, I, and you could see it on his, on his face a couple of times, you could see it in his body language, but I, I do think that this is a situation where he, I'd be surprised if he's not out there in the divisional round. Okay. That's great stuff. We certainly want to see it. Let's talk a little bit about Cleveland here in this game. Then first start of the season, he did play well, particularly as a pass blocker. He's good. The summarizable stats are always dangerous. Nobody had any pressures in this game. Ball was out quickly. The Ravens gave a lot of good ATS. But to, to, to look at Cleveland's stats and just say no pressures, no quarterback hits, no sacks, it's too much of a surface thing. There are too few total snaps to get that excited about it. But there were no negative events of any sort in this game. He did miss six blocks. He lost one at the line of scrimmage out of six. That's terrific. Most of his problems came wandering into level two and not knowing what to do. And a lot of that is stuff that will cost him on a PFF run blocking grade in particular. So if you look at that, you're wondering why did he so different than two? That's the reason. Um, it's it's because he was he he really lost points in level two. Um, one false start uh, was also was was the was a negative charge. I so I guess I, I misstated that earlier. Um, one out of two on pulls, two blocks in level two. He went really probably about two for six in level two in terms of blocks in this game. Uh, no pancakes, no highlights. Got a B for the game, about four points short of an A-. minus. Uh, still a great game. I think this does pose a question that will become a very real question after the Steelers game. If Cleveland were to have a similar performance against them, particularly as a pass blocker, um, what do you think about, the, about reshuffling the offensive line before the playoffs, getting Zeitler back at right guard, and Cleveland moves over to the left side? That I mean, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing. I've, I've seen crazier things happen. And I do think Cleveland's earned some brownie points with the team, not only with his performance against the Dolphins, but just the way that he's practiced and prepared all year. I think <clears throat> if you talk to John Harbaugh today and, and ask him, you know, how he feels about Ben Cleveland compared to maybe 
what he thought in the early part of the year. I think he would say that he's been pleased with the work that Ben Cleveland has put into this point, not to say that they're not happy with John Simpson, but, you know, I, I don't know if they go in, in the postseason and just make that type of change. I, I, I can't say that I, I think that they do that. If it was drastic enough, if, if we were sitting here talking about John Simpson, you know, and, and he just hasn't been able to get right and he's kind of, it's a glaring issue for them right now, then that'd be a different subject. But I don't, I don't know if Simpson is, is, is playing bad enough to where it'll cost him his spot in the postseason. Okay. 11 years ago, almost to the day, the Ravens and, and Harbaugh himself made a very bold three-way move to shuffle the Ravens offensive line before the 2012 playoffs. And he moved Kalecio Semele to left guard, moved Michael Orr to right tackle where he'd been, he just had not been effective as a left tackle pretty much his entire career, but, but certainly not in 2012. And he brought Bryant McKinney who had been in his doghouse the entire season off the bench to be their left tackle. I, I, I could see it happening again. I mean, it's just McKinney supposedly the way Harbaugh talks about it earned his trust. I think it was a case of tremendous dissatisfaction with Orr's play on the left side was a, was a part of this. And what they ended up getting, as much as any of the other two, was Osemele going and just killing it at guard with a fantastic postseason um, that year. The only thing I have about this is that Simpson's played a fair amount of left guard. So, sorry, Cleveland has played a fair mm-hmm. amount of left guard so far in his career, but he's never been as good as he really has been on the right side. So the question is, would they be willing to take that extra step? Because if Cleveland goes over the left side, he's going to be pulling a lot. A lot of the footwork issues that really showed up in this game, even in terms of being in level two and not being able to find a block, will probably rear their ugly head. Yeah, and I mean, and honestly, I think back to training camp, Ben Cleveland was never really getting a, a getting an option. He was never even getting a look at left guard, and uh, to this point, it, it it hasn't. I've never really noticed him at left guard. It would be a little bit of a surprise to me, but I, I do think they've been pleased with what they've gotten out of Ben Cleveland to this point in the year. All right. Well, it, it, it only really becomes a discussion topic, I guess, if if we go through this next week and and he does some things to the Steelers interior yeah. players and and even Watt, um, mm-hmm. uh, who will be crossing his face a fair amount, I think, in this game. Yeah, I mean, he could if he makes it interesting this, this week, then it may uh, be a different topic of discussion because there's no telling what lineup the Ravens are going to put out there uh, against Pittsburgh. Um I guess we can go to Morgan Moses. Morgan Moses, uh, a, another one on the right side, been up and down year for him, dealing with a pec issue a lot this year. Um, but I think he played really strong uh, in that in that game against the Dolphins. What did you see? Yeah, he was outstanding. Um, only 38 snaps. Um, this game is very close with Cincinnati for his best game of the year. And I'll tell you, for starters, I could give you a little insight into our process here. I have no negative events scored for him in this game. I have no missed blocks scored for him in this game, which is really, really unusual Mm -hmm. to go 38 for 38. But I do have three that I still have to look at that are marked A22 on our sheet. Now, we're recording this at 2 p.m., which is exactly the time I would normally be reviewing from the A22. Um, A lot of people would question, well, how can you score offensive line play from from the DVR? I'll tell you right now, with the exception of horizontal issues of spacing, the DVR is usually the most more much more effective way to score offensive line play. You have much more control over the video. You can do it faster. 
Um, you have the ability to time things accurate to three one hundredth of a second directly on your DVR. The video is extremely clear compared to what you get from the All-22, which is mixed. Some stadiums actually quite bad, but but mm -hmm. other stadiums are good. But but where I do need the all twenty two is I need to need to judge um, depth across the football field, and that that's critically important when you when the the offensive tackles in particular are trying to defend the cone and keep players out of that. And you don't get a great sense when the when the broadcast view is across the field of that distance relative to others and you have to kind of judge based on the width of the hash mark and things like that to give you indicators on on depth there so i find myself having to go to the all 22 so for right now simpson had his best game of the year and it probably will hold up that way because he had a 98 against cincinnati earlier in the year so it was one of the highest marks for alignment it's been one a plus graded out so far this year he could he could be at that level fantastic game though for morgan Two bucks in level two, one pancake, no poles, two highlight combination blocks. Um, e either way, it's going to be very close to his best game of the year. And and what I've really loved, and I say this almost every week, is Morgan Moses is way more mobile than I ever thought he would be. The guy is great in space. He's a great puller, um, has no problem finding a block. He's very decisive about moving around. He, he conserves his momentum very well, uh, even though in his case, he almost doesn't need to do it because he's so big. Uh, but very, very good blocker in space. Yeah, that that is one of the best things about him. I remember uh, at in training camp when everybody was coming in, uh, and we were interviewing him. And Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Banner had mentioned to Morgan Moses how he thinks he's, you know, one of the best mobile linemen in the league. And, and Morgan really appreciated that. And it, it is true for a guy that size, you you kind of get surprised when you see him in space and how well. He moves in space and how he's still able to maximize all that strength that he has with, you know, in, in space to get some of those little guys, some of those corners and stuff that he's looking to block. I, I think the world of Morgan Moses. So it's good to see him playing at a high level. Jonas was on last week as a guest for the offensive show. And he said the exact same thing that, that Morgan would really appreciate hearing his mobility praised in this mm -hmm. way hopefully somebody passes him on this uh th this article at some point uh move on yeah uh dan you let's go to some of the backup guys that that started to fill in dan you lele uh obviously he's been rotating with morgan moses and uh i've, I've liked what i've seen from dan you lele these last couple of weeks he seems to, he, look he, he's not playing perfect i, th I think he is Clearly, it's been known from the beginning. He's kind of a project, but I, I love his strength. I just, it, it's some of the fundamental things with, with Daniel that I think are holding him back on the edges. But I, I love how strong he is when he does get his hands on guys. Usually, they don't go anywhere. But what did you see when you watched him? Yeah, it, that's been an ongoing problem, by the way. The Falele, while he's an enormous human being, clearly has a punch is probably kind of a gentle giant i would mm -hmm. just guess in real life i mean I, I wouldn't surprise me if that's his personality you know not knowing him but he's got to learn to punch better i mean you know part of the things of stopping a, a defensive end in his track and you know keeping his pass rush plan from ever getting started go ahead and punch him right below that armpit and see how he reacts to that 
you know, he, 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 his plan will not go as planned when a big man like that, if he can, yeah. if he can get his arms on there. So uh, Jonas mentioned he packed a punch. And I said, when's he going to unpack it? <laughs> so, but but these, these last three weeks from Daniel have been the best stretch of his career. He's played um, 64 snaps the last three weeks to a .73 raw score. So that's right in the middle of the C range. Uh, he's done it against some decent competition, actually to play high in the C range after adjustment. Um, and it's only one full game, so I can't get excited. But Daniel Falele in every other game of his career where he's had the minimum 20 snaps to get a grade has gotten an F. So he's, the problem has just at the heart of it been sacks. And he hasn't allowed uh, – he did actually allow one sack during these last 64 snaps. But he's otherwise played excellent football in terms of, of uh, being in the right place. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about where this could handle. And I'm actually optimistic that the Ravens can continue with the rotational plan there has – that is, if you notice, is staggering the play of McCary and Fa'alele. So they're never on the field at the same time. Mm -hmm. They always have one of the big mm -hmm. boys on, but they but they uh, have done a good job in terms of of uh, you know managing snap count, keeping all those guys on a pitch count. Well, you mentioned Patrick McCary, and he's been alternating with Mo uh, with Stanley on the other side, and it's funny because usually. Makari would have been the guy to fill in for Zeitler with Zeitler going down. But of course he can't because he's alternating uh, with Stanley. And we talked about how good of a game Stanley had. What did you see from Makari out there? Yeah, Makari, not as good. Gave up one pressure in 16 snaps, missed two blocks. Uh, it's not enough snaps for a grade. You need 20 for that. But he would have been a C at, with, at, at his grade level based on what he did. Um, it, it was good. It wasn't you know spectacular by any stretch. The Ravens are lucky to have a backup that's that's of a quality like McCary is, but it's it's a um, uh, he's also not the guy they want as a starter. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. And, and he's had when bigger, longer pass rushers, in particular, longer pass rushers, get a chance at him. That's when he looks his worst. Trey Hendrickson, Miles um, Garrett, and they can make a lot of guys look bad, but they're they're also in the division, and so it means you you got to be cognizant of having the right player. Um, uh, available there. You need you need a, a guy. So I think the, the Ravens it'll be on their on their list this offseason to pick up another tackle, and it's honestly got to be a tackle who can play on the left side, um, at least adequately. Ideally, you'd pick up a left tackle who can jump right in, play left tackle no later than his second season. I wouldn't be surprised if tackle was probably a very, very, very high <laughs> on their list of needs uh, going into the offseason off this year. Regardless of how you feel about Ronnie Stanley, you got Morgan Moses, who's closer to the end than the beginning right mm -hmm. now. I mean, Stanley, like I said, I, I, you don't know what how much he even has left right now. But I, I would imagine tackle is probably very high on their priority list. Right. Com completely agree. And and I think that that, you know, if you look at it as they've got one guy they might need to replace as early as next year. And you know, one of the reasons they haven't been continually pushing forward the money for Ronnie Stanley is I don't think they know exactly when he's planning to retire. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to take the chance on having that, you know, come to bite them at an inopportune time. Um, with the in the case of Morgan Moses, they have to replace him after 24. I don't think that he's a guy that they're likely to resign. It, it could change if he suddenly plays 16 games again next year and becomes the Morgan Moses of old that you could trust. Maybe, maybe resign him for two more years, but something tells me this is probably the last contract. Um, you know, the Raven, the fact that the Ravens are probably going to have to pass on Kevin Zeitler this off season is sad as hell um, because I think he's got a couple of years left at mm -hmm. least, but the Ravens have other options if, if between Cleveland and Voorhees and the possibility of Simpson hanging around, 
uh, and, and, you know, potential of another draft pick as well. Try to think if I'm forgetting anybody here. Um, that that's a pretty good set of of options at guard to be spending a lot of your very minimal available cap space there. We went over a couple of the backup tackles. Let's go to the backup center. Sam Mustafer didn't play a lot in this game. Uh, obviously, when you when you're beating on people by almost forty points, you're going to get some backup guys in the game. Mustafer did sneak in on the back end. What did you see? Three snaps, three blocks. Uh, you know he's been good this year. It's been surprising because. Uh, he has some sort of a phantom additional year of of credit of service time that didn't make any sense to me. But the Ravens actually handshake deal him at the beginning of the year, which means he was in year five, even though on the roster he's in year four. Uh, but anyway, next year for certain, he's a guy I think um, the Ravens will probably try and keep around as as good depth. I don't know if it'll work. Um, his play in Chicago probably has turned some other GMs off to him kind of the way Simpsons play in Las Vegas did uh, to them. So either of those guys might still be around um, f- for another season, I think, with the Ravens. Yeah, Sam Mustafa, I, I think I, I like what he does give them as a backup right now. I think they like what he what he gives them when he had to fill in for Tyler Lindebaum and that little sample size. Um, you know, he's not he's – a, he's a backup. He, he's a backup. Somebody's got to play the role, but it's good to have somebody there that I feel like they can trust. Um, Skill position guys, you know, we 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 talked about a lot of the offensive linemen. Uh, we we dabbed a little bit in the skill position players earlier. Um, but I think it's after a game like that, it's a lot of them that you can talk about. You could definitely start with Zay Flowers, who has over a hundred yards in the game, gets the 75-yard touchdown catch, three catches on the day. Um, Zay is really turning out to be one of the uh true X factors for this Ravens team right now. And I I think he's kind of the guy he and Isaiah likely you have to pretty much scheme for those guys. If you're a defense, those are probably the top two guys you're looking to take away. Yeah. You don't, there's it's interesting because Bateman, obviously great receiver, but you you don't scheme for him in the same way. You hope Mm -hmm. your cornerback is good enough not to get beat at the top of the route. And, you know, maybe you you throw safety help his way. But so far, Bateman hasn't been the draw the extra defender guy. And he hasn't been a guy that is so dangerous in terms of, say, his stop and go or the sluggos or whatever they might run that he, that he would um, create problems where if the safety is not hyper aware, you lose out. But Flowers, boy, I mean, not only are, are, are the opponents scheming for him, you know, we saw Aguilar basically mm-hmm. scheme for Flowers to be open. In the in that uh, huge touchdown yep. at the end of the which game was it? The Rams. The Rams game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else would you like to talk about? Who's your next guy that you'd like to toss out there? Well, I mentioned him a little bit just now, but I can go to Isaiah Likely. I I, I love everything about the way Likely is playing right now. I mean, he is he he's playing with a ton of confidence. He understands his role in this offense. He understands how important the tight end position is in this offense and. I just think he understands, you know, the the type of opportunity that he has right now to to be the guy on uh, the number one seed in the AFC. This is a team that has a legit shot at not only making the Super Bowl, but winning the Super Bowl at this point. So I I, I really uh, you have to kind of appreciate a player, especially a young player um, who's playing in the shadow of a really, really good player that when they get their opportunity to step in and, and, and the spotlight is on them, they don't shy away. They don't shy away from it. They, they really show you how good 
they can be. And, and Isaiah likely, as much as I've talked about Zay Flowers kind of scratching the surface, I feel the same way about Isaiah likely. Mm -hmm. I, I really think this dude could be a gem for the Ravens. Yeah, we, we've at times we've seen flashes of it, but these last five games he has shown bright, that's for sure. Is there a, um, you know, this is not a Wally Pip situation, meaning Isaiah likely is not going to suddenly steal Mark Andrews' jobs from job from him when Andrews is back. The, the, the history that Lamar and Andrews have together and the Ravens, the money they have invested in Andrews. Andrews will get every opportunity to get back on the field and whatnot. How, how, how would you see them using both of these players? That's that. That's the question because even earlier this year they weren't able to do it, and mm -hmm. we've seen we we've talked a lot about likely lining up as a wide receiver and how versatile he is, but I don't know if that's really a good if it's effective for him. We he's lined up at receiver quite a bit, and it just seems like they aren't able to get him the ball or get him in the sort of matchups that they want to get him in when he's lined up out there. I think ideally you'd like to see him lined up as still one of those tight end, still at a tight end position, doesn't even have to be in line, doesn't even have to be on the same side as Mark Andrews. But I, I my vision for this Ravens offense this year was that they were going to be a terror in the middle of the field with what Mark Andrews can do, with what Likely can do, with what Odell Beckham can do in the middle of the field as well. So that would kind of be my idea is that you could still kind of put pressure on those second and third level guys in the middle of the field with a, some mesh looks between he and Mark or something like that. Mm -hmm. But what Isaiah likely gives you is he he not only has shown that he can be a guy that help in the second play instances when you get into the scramble drill, but I like him on some double move situation. You can be creative with him, I think, at the tight end position unlike the way you can use most tight ends, you you would be able to do some some weird things with Isaiah Likely as your second tight end. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I think, you know, one of the things that struck me about Monken's offense, and it came from Georgia, reputation of using two tight ends a lot in that offense. Of course, one of his tight ends is an enormous offensive tackle prospect, Washington, mm -hmm. who, who still, I think, might end up there. But uh, this year, when the Ravens have gone to 12, it's been a lot of the time, with Ricard in line mm -hmm. as the tight end and Andrews or likely now split out, um, you know, wide. And there's been, they've done a little bit now with Kolar and trying to, trying to get Kolar some Ricard snaps, I'll call it um, these last few weeks, but they're, they really, uh, they're not, I mean, Monkett's offense just doesn't even really seem to be set up to play three tight ends mm -hmm. and it, it just makes things um, difficult. I guess, I guess there'd be some closeout game opportunities where you get Kolar on the field, but that doesn't, you know, what we really need is receiving opportunities for likely to, to, to take the most advantage of that. And, and when we talk, we start talking about whose snaps he takes, then it's, it's Beckham. It's, it's Bateman who we might be taking snaps away from. It's not necessarily, you know, it's maybe reducing flower snap count a little bit too, for, for, for that matter. But um, he has to take him away from wide receivers. Yeah, it, it simply is. And, and I think uh, you get into, if you start looking ahead to when Mark is potentially back on this team. Yeah. I mean, those are some guys that outside of Bateman, because, you know, you, especially with Bateman going into uh, what year four for him, Next year, you're going to want to try to give him as many opportunities as you can to see exactly what you have in him. But 
I, I do think there is an avenue for them to still get the production that they're getting out of Isaiah Likely with Mark Andrews out there. Those two guys are too good for you to not find a way to make them both a threat when they're on the field together. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. All right, that's a good one. I, I'll I'll pick Bateman. Talk about him a little bit briefly. We did we did hit on some of this in the first show, so a little bit of overlap here. We're sorry for reducing the value of the show to you, but uh, Bateman, great route runner. As as we talked about this, great wiggle at the top of the route, ability to really separate from that has shown up in some of the charting that's been done in terms mm -hmm. of, of of separation. That's been uh, you know well done. I think Bateman, you know, shown in this game and shown in previous games. The ability to be part of off-schedule plays has really improved, probably as the season has gone on. But he's not—he's not a low-motor guy who who ends up quitting on the on the route. Uh, lots of positive things to say. And and that said, um, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like the offense, even in a game like this where they threw him a long ball that he just could not quite pull in, um, and they threw the ball to him six times in total, and they didn't have Beckham. You know, Beckham played only 18 snaps in this game. So they, they, you know, they, Bateman had plenty of snaps to play in this game. That wasn't the issue. Um, the offense still wasn't going through him the way it might for some other number one receivers or even, frankly, for Isaiah Likely. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's tough to even look at Bateman as a number one receiver right now, to be honest with you. I mean, I think he has... <laughs> I still think Bateman has a ton of potential. I, I think that's what his best asset is right now is his potential. He, he he still has a lot there that they haven't been able to unlock. But I look at Zay kind of right now as, you know, wide receiver one for this team. And I think Bateman could have wide receiver one type of upside um, on any given Sunday. I do love that they always try to get him involved early. Typically, though, they've kind of gone away from him as the game goes on. Sunday against the Dolphins, he was pretty much involved most of the game. Um, so that, that was good to see. But I think that's important that they keep him engaged. Um, and it's tough because, you know, you you want to put Beckham out there when you can because he does present big play capabilities right now. You know, he, he still can make something happen. Uh, but you, you want to try to give Bateman as many chances as you can to keep his confidence up and, and just to keep him engaged. Is it fair to say, and this would extend to Aguilar as well, that the Ravens receiving core may be benefiting, and I include the tight ends in this group, from having some of the shared responsibility and have a, having a kind of a, a moderation of snaps for everyone that, that there, we may get, be getting more rested versions of these receivers? I think so, and I, I'm not even just – with the rested versions, but I think 
I think it forces everybody to kind of be hungry when they get out there, number one. But also, I mean, yeah, like I said, I think Zay is the wide receiver one, but everybody kind of has their own sections of how many plays they're going to get. And so you kind of almost feel like it's an equal playing scale almost, you know, because Beckham's already every other series. Bateman, probably the same thing. Maybe every third series he comes off, Nelly gets every other series or something like that. So you 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 feel like it's almost like an equal opportunity situation as as the wide receivers. And I think it takes the pressure off of Lamar to feel like he has to get somebody the ball. That's always been the thing with Mark Andrews. It always feels like he has to throw Mark the ball. And it's kind of possibly why when Mark's not out there, the passing game looks a little more fluid because Lamar is spreading the ball around. He's not just locking in on 89. So I think that could possibly be a situation as well for these wide receivers that, you know, everybody's kind of rooting for the other guy. Um, and, and nobody feels like they deserve more of the pie than the next man. You don't really have a lot of the ego stuff that we thought we may get this year because it's only one ball. Even Beckham, to his credit, sure, you know, hasn't publicly come out and and showed his you know frustration with his role on the team. I, so I was just going to ask you that about about Bateman, not Beckham. Is is Bateman's entering year three, and in some ways. This was an enormously key year for Bateman mm-hmm. because the fifth-year option was out there for the Ravens to pick up at the end of the year. That's not happening. At least I don't. I don't see any way. First of all, right. the Ravens don't, don't really have the money. But second of all, to 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 do it after what we've seen is just is just not enough. Even if he had a big postseason, I, I still think it's probably a no. Um, which means he's he's going to be entering his last year in Baltimore next year. It was supposedly after year two that Hollywood went and said, look, this offense isn't for me, you know, basically laying a lot of that at the feet of Greg Roman, obviously in terms of, of he wanted to be traded. It took him a year to get it done, but do you, do you have any sense uh, that Bateman has a level of unhappiness that's bubbling under there that, that he's just not he's being good about not being making made making public. You know, I got to give Rashad Bateman credit, at least publicly when I speak to him in the locker room, even off the even off the mic. Um, he's always been he's in good spirits this year. And that hasn't always been the case for him in the past. You know, um, he's had his moments to where I think his role on the team or what's going on with him health wise has impacted his attitude at times. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's been really good about just being po- as positive as he can be this year. Um, but I'm sure it's got to be in his mind, you know, I'm sure it's got to be in his mind what's going on here. Mark will be back. The Ravens are probably still draft a wide receiver. I would imagine possibly at two. I wouldn't be shocked with Duvernay is multiple guys leaving this team. There's quite a few veterans in that wide receiver room. So it wouldn't surprise me if Bateman felt like the best thing for him is to go and, and ask for a trade. And Hey, Maybe that's the best thing for the Ravens. You know, who knows what they could. I don't, obviously you're not going to get what you'd like to get in return from your first round wide receiver. Um, But the value for Bateman, depending on what he does in the postseason, and some teams may look at him and say, there's so much more there left on the bone that the Ravens didn't even get to that 
you know, he's a steal. The team teams may look at him like a steal. So I, I really would not be surprised if Bateman's moved in the offseason because it could be a situation that's beneficial for both sides. Yeah, I, I, I can think of a lot of reasons why that might make sense, but uh, it it won't be a number one draft pick like it was with Hollywood right. or even a portion of a number one draft pick right. as, as really more accurately said. But the Ravens need draft capital badly. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the highest I believe the Ravens are going to be able to draft is number 27. Is that correct? Because they'll if they the earliest they can lose the divisional round. Right. So there's eight teams left the divisional round. So they can, uh, it's either them or San Francisco would have the tougher right. schedule. I believe it. I believe it's it, 27 it's ends up being the highest. Ticket. 27, 26 at the absolute highest, but yeah, it, it would be in, in that 26, 27 range. And yeah, I mean, ideally that's, you're, you're probably not going to get something too great, even though they got Lamar Jackson on the back end of the first round. So who knows how the draft board will fall. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, they, they already understand that they'll be picking late in the first round and I think they're okay with that. Yeah. I mean, obviously we'd be, we'd be great if they, if they pick 32nd, that's yeah. definitely we'd like to pick every year, but, but it's not the place where you get an offensive tackle right. you need. And, right. and if the Ravens are really going to have to trade up in the first round, that'll take some, some major draft capital. Mm-hmm. They've only really got one other source and it's a source I brought up on the show before, but I hate even to say it. But I think that tagging and trading Matabike is about the only thing that might get them into the middle of the first round where they might get one of the offensive tackles. They'll get a leftover, but it'll be one of the offensive tackles. There's about six in the first round projected in this year. And I don't know how, you know, I don't know if that's a move that they're going to be willing to make unless this tackle is ready to start day one. And will they even have an open spot? For that tackle to, to play day one will also be the question. But um, a, a tag and trade for Matabike, my, I, I think the world of Matabike, obviously he's having a heck of a year in his contract year. I, I guess I just, it's so tough to have these types of years as an interior pass rusher. Yep. You don't know how many more years he'll have like this. I think he's a really good player. I do. Um, but I just think people have to be realistic with, what his floor will be going forward. What floor are they willing to accept going forward? Because this isn't it. This isn't yeah. going to be the floor. So what is it? Are you willing to, is, is a six or seven and a, a seven and a half sacks? Okay. Is that, is that a, you know, is that going to be worth the money in people's minds? I, I just think that's what people have to think of because while he's having an incredible year, Aaron Donald and very other few people are the ones that we're talking about when you're talking about guys having multiple seasons like this. You could com- completely buy it. And uh, the comment has often been made that his relationship to pressures to sacks is not really as good as a lot of the other great interior pass rushers. And that's certainly true of a player like Donald. Donald has a ton more pressures mm-hmm. um, ratio to pre- of pressures to sacks. And part of that is just because he's benefited so much from Clowney, Owe, players like that, and being a Hoover vacuum cleaner yep. in terms of picking up these these second man sacks. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I mentioned. Like, uh, I'm not saying that he's replaceable, but you you like you mentioned, it's you. He's been the beneficiary from Clowney and those guys getting pressure and forcing the quarterbacks right up into the pocket. And that's where 92 is. And look, even, and I gave him credit for that Niners game. I thought he had a really good game against the Niners, albeit he didn't have a sack, but Mm -hmm. I thought he still made plays, especially in the run game. I think he's a really good player. Um, I just think that's a position that 
depends a lot on what's going on around them. And you could arguably get, uh, especially with the way Travis Jones is ascending yep. right now. I mean, that could be probably the biggest talking point into why the Ravens may feel like paying Matt BK may not be worth it for them long-term. I don't know. Yeah. So Travis Jones being the new three tech would be something I'd be completely, well, look, I want to see Travis Jones at three tech period. period I want right, to, you know, right. seeing Michael Pierce and Travis Jones together at one and mm-hmm. three is just Nirvana. And they've only done that a handful of times this year. They really have not done it. So, uh, uh, I would like to talk to about another player or two, but we got a few mailbag questions to get to and na- naming MVPs three, two, one. Let's maybe talk about Justice Hill before we cut off this skill position players. Yeah, Justice Hill, good job by him showing up uh, in this game. You know, so much said about the loss of Keaton Mitchell this year, but Justice Hill gets three carries, 48 yards, 16 yards a pop. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's helped out by that 41-yard carry that he had, of course. Uh, but he also contributes in the passing game, five catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. And this one uh, caught all five of his targets at that. Showed some burst, showed that speed element to the offense that they desperately needed. That was the big loss with just with uh, Keaton Mitchell. That Where would they get that type of speed from? And people forget Justice Hill was the fastest back in his class uh, when he was in the, when he was in the uh, draft himself. So um, I, I do think Justice Hill is a guy that can give them that type of spark. I still don't know how much you can depend on him consistently having, you know, that amount of big plays in a game. But without question, Justice Hill is somebody that I think that they can depend on. Did a good job getting matchups for him. Those wheel routes, whenever they got him up yeah, the right well, sideline, cool. it's just that's a perfect matchup. And I mean, he's he he was so separated on those plays. It wasn't a hard choice for Lamar to throw the ball. Good trust being built up. You know, Lamar seeing what he can do after he has the ball in his hands, in particular in that first drive, which we talked about, is something also that probably gets him some incremental touches that are short of the sticks on money downs. Uh, that are probably going to going to you know serve him well. At least we certainly hope so in terms of what he's done. And uh, kind of nice on Ray Rice Appreciation Day to have a player like Hill put in a kind of a Ray Rice performance. Yeah, it was it, it was especially kind of tipping his hat to to Ray on that third and sixteen. That that was very Ray esque uh, on that type of play, being able to be the back that that's there for them in the run game and the pass game as well. That that was a big part of Ray's game also. So hopefully he can continue to kind of uh, carry, carry that role for them because I, I, I've always felt like he and Gus play well off each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. They really are. They're, they give you two different things at the back and Mitchell gave you a third thing yet. Uh, that was an outstanding three headed monster. And every time the Ravens have had to replace backs and we do a question in the mailbag about this, um, oh, let's go to just go to that right now, and because this really gets to replacement backs and what they end up looking like. Brandon Croxton, five, who's a good friend of the show, been on the show a number of times. You folks will probably notice this. With Dalvin Cook getting waived by the Jets today, do you think the Ravens should look into picking him up as a potential speed threat at running back? He has barely been used this year. I'm going to say no. I mean, I've I got to see quite a bit of Dalvin Cook with the Jets this year. To be honest with you. I wasn't one of the people kind of shedding a tear about the uh, Vikings moving on from Dalvin Cook. I, I've kind of felt like he was closer to the end uh, for a while now. He's a big play guy. That's what he was his his last couple of years in Minnesota. It's either big play or nothing with Dalvin Cook. And I, 
I just think, with like I mentioned earlier, the Ravens are a ball-handling type of offense. We saw early in the year some of the uh, some of the difficulties between Lamar and Justice Hill with the mesh point and things like that. It, I, I just think it's tough to get a running back off the street this time of year and think that they're going to come in and, and be a contributor in this type of offense. I, I just think they ask too much of these backs. It's uh, I, I don't disagree with that as a way. And I think also Dalvin Cook is not really the speed back he used yeah. to be. It'd be like mm-hmm. saying Le'Veon Bell is a speed pack at this point in his career. Um, so I, I wouldn't be excited from that perspective. But if I am looking at Melvin Gordon and Dalvin Cook, I, and those are the two players I'm really having to make a choice on about a roster spot because the Ravens are going to keep three backs on the team. I, I'm not sure that I, I don't prefer Cook to Gordon at this point in their careers. I mean, Gordon is is he's not a... a a, a special athlete at mm. this point in his career. I think that, that uh, cook is a reasonable alternative to him, but they've already spent the money on Gordon in a way. Yeah. And so, so you're, you're, you've got the guy here. He's, he's familiar with your system. Uh, you know, played pretty well. I thought in this last game for, mm. for what he had as a, as a, um, the other team knowing the run was coming and basically being very tough on him. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm a no also on, on Dallin cook, Brandon. All right, so let's go to uh, – I'll go to the rest of the questions here, and then we'll get to the MVPs, and we'll, we'll call it a day. Brett Hammonds just had a, a comment here. We love those, by the way. Hit, you, hit us with your comments. Um, in this game, we saw amazing display of depth by the Ravens. This is why uh, we obsess over the draft, training camp, and the preseason, the practice squad. All the pieces matter. Great point. Yeah, I mean, great point. And this was the game that you got to see the Ravens' depth in its totality on, on both sides of the ball. And look, even on special teams, I mean, Tylen Wallace has been really good as a returner since he's filled in justice. Hill done a good job as a return guy as well. Um, you look at them defensively. I mean, no Stevens, no Kyle Hamilton, Marlon goes down early in this game. That's a huge chunk of the Ravens defense right there. And yet they don't really miss a beat. And, and then we even, you go to the offensive side, obviously Ben Cleveland, coming in for Zeitler. I, I just think that this was a game where you got to see the Ravens depth on its full, you know, put on full display. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you go back to why the Ravens piled up all those consecutive wins in the preseason, it's defensive depth. They did mm-hmm. it with. And, and this year when defensive depth finally fell apart a little bit on them, they didn't have nearly as much defense in the depth of the preseason defensive line. They didn't really have it. They didn't really have it in the secondary um, either, and they were they're playing some guys out of position, uh, frankly, to to get yeah. preseason games done. Um, that makes all the difference. And, and you know, it it uh, when 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 anybody who's a gambling expert tells you that the Ravens are about to lose a preseason game, just ask him why and chuckle under your breath as they as they try and explain their way into that <laughs> one. Because, uh, all right, well, great great point there. We appreciate that, Brett. Um, moving on uh, at sad Ravens news says this he's also his title is not worried about cornerbacks at sad ravens news it's interesting one how real are the last two weeks how do they project themselves into it against a desperate steelers team with a history of causing devastating injuries this is sad to our guys how does ronnie looks in jacksonville i i assure you my twitter handle is is tongue-in-cheek start us off (laughs) yeah i mean I, I would say the I would say the last two weeks are real. I, I look at them as real. You know, going to San Francisco, beating, in my opinion, was the best team in the NFL at that time. 
And I mean, not just beating them, but they beat them bad. They, they, mm-hmm. they beat them down in San Francisco. That, that means a lot. I think that means a lot. And even if you want to go further, the Rams game meant a lot to me. It was a game where you got to see the Ravens put in an uncomfortable spot. They've been playing with the lead all year. That's a game where they just really weren't able to put that team away. Teams usually kind of fold late in the game with the Ravens, and the Rams didn't, to their credit. They they gave the Ravens everything they could handle. You're seeing the defense give up big plays. You don't really see that very often. Just a lot of uncharacteristic things happened in that game, and they still found a way to win. And they didn't make it easy on the Rams. Everything the Rams got in that game, they earned. They mm-hmm. earned it. And so um, I just think that this is a team that's playing their best football right now. I I, I don't think these last two weeks – have been a fluke. And yeah, you're going to get a desperate Steelers team right now, but I think they've been getting desperate teams every week. It's December football. They got a desperate Dolphins team on Sunday for sure. I think they got a desperate Niners team. Desperate Jaguars team. Desperate Jaguars team for sure. Definitely got a desperate Rams team a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I, I just think they're getting everybody's best shot and they're handling it well. Yeah, and and even when they were early in the season, I mean, now the Ravens had the five games they played this season against teams that were three or more games over five hundred. They've outscored their opponents one hundred and ninety to fifty four and won all five games. No team in NFL history has ever had five wins against uh, teams that are three games over five hundred by two touchdowns in the same season. So this is this is quite a a remarkable season they're having. And I, I look at these last two games as. They beat the best each conference had to offer. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I don't want to get overconfident about the playoffs because any given Sunday or Saturday or Monday, this, you know, with the wild card crap right. stuff going on. But still, uh, I, I think they're well positioned. And if if and when they lose this postseason, it will be devastating. We will feel it like 2006 and 2019, folks. It's going to really hurt. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to hurt. Um because they look so good right now. They look so good right now. And uh, you, you just, you haven't really seen them look weak or look like a team that doesn't belong. They, I mean, I don't, if, if the Ravens lose, you would imagine it'll either be because they hurt themselves, right? Or, you know, some team was just as hot as they were. I just don't see a team coming out there and just beating up on the Ravens. It it, it just doesn't usually go that way. They may shoot themselves in the foot at some point, and maybe that turns out to be the thing that hurts them. But uh, right now, the way that they're playing, I I just don't see another team better. It's been a long time, and we have to go back into 22 since they've lost a game um, where they really got beat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where they every, Every single game this season, I mean, I think it, it would probably would be worse for the thing. I always kind of scoff when it when a team says maybe that loss was the best thing for us, you know, and they're, and they're talking about competing for the Super Bowl or whatever. Um, but this is a Ravens team. I'm happy they're not set, uh, 16 and 0 right now, going into a Steelers game where they feel like they have to win it to be undefeated. Yeah, I, I'm really happy about that. Anyway, I got one more question here. It's from Mark Mark at Mark the Ravens. Mark B. Redding. How unique is Lamar's ability to run? left or right and make a throw usually it's death to right-handed quarterback that's what i always say to bail left but lamar appears to have a unique ability to make throws on the run left and right um i'll just take it really quickly he resets his feet very quickly he is extraordinary in that regard he also has good upper body torque that you see from mahomes and some other quarterbacks and throws at other odd angles 
Um, Flacco had ever, had none of those. He only really had he wanted to throw the ball overhand, strong overhand motion, not a sidearm guy. Um, incredible Frankenstein like feet. He had trouble resetting, and uh, and he, for that reason, you know, we got used to seeing literally the two extremes in the National Football League of right-handed quarterbacks moving left and what they could do and what they could not do. Yeah. I mean, Lamar, he does a lot of the things he does are things that you're not supposed to do, but when you are as athletic as he is and gifted as he is, you you can do some of those things. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's, you saw, we saw it on the play where the, the, the touchdown is a, where he, you know, shifts his feet and resets his stance. I mean, he does it so quickly and you talk about his torque, and he lives for those those different arm angles. I mean, yep. he he wants to make those types of throws. So, yeah, I mean, he's able to do some things that you typically don't tell your quarterback to do back there. Sometimes when you get quarterbacks like he and Mahomes and, you know, Allen and these guys, you, you kind of just got to let these guys do their own thing. Yeah. You be you. All right. Real quick. Three, two, one on MVPs. Who's your number three guy? My number three guy. Uh, this is just offense. Offense right. only, yes. This is just offense. I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm a, I'm gonna go with Justice Hill. I thought Justice Hill played really good in this one. Made some splash plays early. I mean, that third and sixteen, uh, play for sure is at the top of the list. But they go back to that wheel route later on in the game. Gets the touchdown on that. Um, has the big play on the ground as well. I just, it, it's good for Justice Hill to to play the role that he's playing, and, and they'll need him to continue to make some of these plays to keep defenses honest because they, they need that speed factor uh, in this offense. Great, great point. Completely agree, by the way. Hill is absolutely critical to continue on in a similar role. Um, he won't have necessarily the same success as he did in this game. Right. But you know, we've also left out that the return he had on the kickoff to yeah, start the second yeah. half. I mean, that almost put Huge. the game away by itself. It did. So, we, he had so many put the game away plays, <laughs> right? And and it was a good it was a good call too by Chris Horton, John Harbaugh, uh, whoever put the call in. Um, nice looked like a little counter return there. It was it was, I mean it opened up. Uh, good job by Justice Hill seeing the lane and and taking it. But we saw this last year when Duver, when Devin Duvernay went down and Justice Hill filled in for him as the return guy. I mean, what can't this guy do right now? And that and I, I think they appreciate that about Justice Hill, and so do I. Great, great contract this time. He's my number two guy. So who's who's your number? I'll go my number three guy is, is Flowers. Uh, great game, by the way, and and just a, a little more limited context than Hill, or he could have easily been number two. Isaiah likely could have been number three as well. But uh, but Flowers is my number three guy. Terrific, terrific game for him. Lots of contributions. Yeah, I'm I'm going with uh, Isaiah Likely for my number two guy. Uh, I, I just I just love the way Likely's playing. Two touchdowns in the game. Um, I think he's playing at such a high level. I mean, he's playing like a premier tight end right now. The the way that he's playing these last couple of weeks, and uh, I, I just think he is just starting to scratch the surface of how good he can really be. We're starting to see them really treat him as that red zone threat in this offense as of late, but he's also a guy that they're not afraid to get a big play out of him as well because of what he can do in the yak department. So I I love everything about Isaiah likely right now. He's my number two. 
All right. Comp that, uh, no objection to that at all. I assume we have the same number one in this yeah. game. We've certainly talked a lot about him, so we'll just leave Lamar Jackson out of the discussion here, I think, for the uh, for the moment. But uh, marvelous game from Lamar. Any element that you ha maybe haven't talked about Lamar that, that you don't think we hit on already? I, I think I, – I just think Lamar has uh... – I think he's a better – everybody spends so much time trying to figure out what Lamar can't do well. That's ridiculous. And, and, I, and I think people are really robbing themselves of, of watching a dude that is one of the more exciting players this game has ever seen. I mean, I, I what got me into football was watching people like Barry Sanders and, and, and Brian Mitchell and those guys and um, – I, the the way I used to watch Barry run and some of his plays, Lamar gives me that same feeling mm -hmm. when I watch him play. Man, it, it just if just putting my fan hat on, I, I I think the dude is really a gift to the game. And I I think when it comes to him, he's a guy that you you really you could almost say he shows you something different every game. Like you, it's not many players in the NFL that every game you watch them they give you a different feeling. I think back to that, Chris, to the uh, Sunday night game, I think against the chargers or maybe even against the Jags um, where Chris Collinsworth, you'd have thought it was his first time watching Lamar Jackson, the way that he was calling that game. And that's, that's the feeling he gives you. He really makes you feel like it's your first time watching him every time you watch. him. Yeah, certainly no objection there. They're one of the most exciting players in the, uh, in the entire league. And, I, I, I don't want to take his career for granted. I mean, it is passing us by as mm -hmm. we go. I mean, he's in his mm -hmm. sixth year already. Yeah. And, you know, we're almost to the point, maybe not, but we're almost to the point where Lamar Jackson is is hitting the turn and, and hitting the back nine. That might be after this year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, obviously the contract that he signed, if anybody has an objection with what the Ravens did in terms of that contract for Lamar Jackson, let's have a little talk about that. Because yeah. I, I don't think it makes any sense at this point. They, they, they obviously did the right thing. And I could even argue that, that, that if, if the Beckham money was spent on Jackson, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but, I, I, I would agree with that. And even to your point about him hitting the back nine in his career, um, I think you're starting to see some elements of the development of his game right now. We're, we're starting to get to see what the veteran Lamar Jackson looks like. You know, he's still going to be he's still going to have the the footwork to be able mm -hmm. to be a threat as a mobile quarterback. But you're seeing him now look to extend plays just to make a play down the field earlier in his career. You can even go back to 2019. If he's extending the play, he's probably running. I mean, he's looking to make the play almost for himself, not to make him sound selfish, but he had that kind of one track mind, whereas now. He he's hunting for opportunities to get somebody else involved. He wants to to be a passer. He desperately wants to be respected as a passer in this league. And I don't think he has anything else to prove me personally. But it, it is great to see kind of uh, the maturity and the veteranship in his game right now. And I think he'll still be a threat, like I said, to be as a mobile quarterback. But you're you're watching him now pick his spots as a runner. Even when he does run, he's sliding, he's getting down and stuff. I just think he he's understanding how to play the game and how to stay and keep that longevity in the NFL. 
Yeah, I, I certainly hope you're right about that. The the is a guy who comes on the show once in a while, hasn't been on this year so far. Dearly miss him. Coach Evans of Sip to Tally Films. I don't know yeah. if you've run into him on the yeah. on Twitter, but outstanding. Um uh he's what he said you know, fairly early on in Lamar's career is when, when Lamar Jackson starts to lose his speed, and his speed has waned a little bit already, mm-hmm. but when you're, when Lamar Jackson loses speed, he'll he'll be Russell Wilson instead. And I think we found this year that's not necessarily a good thing. And so we mm-hmm. still have to be reasonable. But Wilson's what, been in the year league about 12 years now? Something like that. Yeah, you know, he's, I, I, he's in the back end. Yeah. But but he's but he the point is he's he's played good football for a long time. And yeah. if the if if the Ravens uh you know if Lamar is as good as Russell Wilson was for the rest of his this this second contract of his, uh the Ravens will will get tremendous value. Out of out of what's happened. So anyway, yeah, Lamar Lamar is worth every penny and then some. Right now, he's going to end up winning his second MVP. Um, and and it it doesn't get. To, I don't think it's being talked about enough. Just the the fact that he is living up to this contract. It was so yeah. much put on, you know, about whether or not the Ravens should give him this money. And we've seen so many times of players having great contract years, and for Lamar, he wasn't able to even. And make it a tough, you know, leave with a a great taste in people's mouths because the last two years he's been hurt this time of year. Yeah. But we're used to seeing guys put on great years to get paid. And then when they get paid, it doesn't have the same effect. Well, Lamar has been able to show just you opposite. just how important winning a Super Bowl is to him. He is, his message has been the same since draft night and talking to him after the game on Sunday he is laser focused on winning a Super Bowl. And, and folks, it is not too early mid, by mid-February to discuss whether or not Lamar Jackson is a Hall of Famer. If if he wins the Super Bowl, he has got all of the foreground scenery he needs with two MVPs, changing the game the way he has, winning mm-hmm. a Super Bowl. It's going to be a matter of then accumulating some of the background scenery, as Bill James used to call it in terms of the Hall of Fame, of, of you know, some longevity statistics and some other things. But it'll never be about the pure stats with him. It's about how he makes every other team uh, player on the field better. Yep. So, anyway. Cordell, always a tremendous pleasure talking football with you. Thank you so much for taking roughly two and a half hours here to talk football with me. Uh, tell folks all about your show on 105.7 and anything else you're working on. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. Always a good time to talk some football with you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cordell Woodland. You can catch my show, Shaking It Up Sports, on 105.7 The Fan. I'm on weeknights on The Fan. You can also listen to my show on the Odyssey app. You download the Odyssey app and search 105.7 The Fan. You'll find my show on there as well. Also, do uh, I do the Win and Drive podcast with my co-host Rita Hubbard who's also on 105.7, the fan co-host of the Glenn and Rita show. Uh, we do our podcast. We put out about two to three episodes a week. So wherever you get your podcast from, you can find, you can find the winning drive. All right. Outstanding stuff, Cordell. Make sure you give him a follow there. If you listen to Ravens interviews, you will pick up on Cordell's voice fairly frequently asking some of the really good questions to get out of there. And there are some inane questions. Still asked in, in uh, <laughs> at some interviews, but Cordell won't be one of those guys, you know, that's asking how important are home playoff games to us. You know, yeah. kind of, it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, you'll get meaningful questions from Cordell. That's one of the things I really love about him as a as a uh, as a fan of the team and 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 for him as a reporter of the team uh, and and a beat guy. But uh, Cordell Angry, thanks again for coming on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you. 
This is the time of year I'm meeting new people for draft content for the off-season, for other off-season shows that still get produced on a very regular basis uh, on this uh, uh, podcast. So uh, appreciate uh, any ideas you might have. I'll, I'll get back to you very quickly. Cordell, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.